Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... wise realize that they are not in control. God is, and that's why God has the authority to tell us all to enjoy our life more. So a sourpuss Christian should not be the case. They're being disobedient to God. God is saying, enjoyment. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the beautiful day. Enjoy the friends I gave you. Enjoy me, he's saying. According to the writer of Ecclesiastes, wisdom helps us enjoy the life God gives us. But as Pastor Jim explains, many Christians ought to be enjoying life more, but too often choose to rebel against authority and forget God when things go wrong. No matter what kinds of challenges we face, when we submit our lives to God and honor those in authority over us, He gives us the supernatural ability to enjoy life no matter our present circumstances. Godly enjoyment is a benefit of trusting God. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part three of his message entitled, How Will Wisdom Help Me Live? He's the wisest man in the world. He makes good decisions, it seems, on certain things. He's got tons of women. Oh, if you had your sexuality straight, then the world would be all okay. And he is willing to admit that at times we all feel apprehensive about the future. We think, oh, that guy's got no worries. Here's the guy who's got everything. He goes, I got a lot of worries. That we all know that sometimes, he's saying we all know that sometimes we're going to be in the dark. He also admits, the guy who could buy anything admits, we can't control the present. It's like grabbing the wind. Walk outside today, nice breeze blows by. Oh, that's a beautiful breeze. I'm just going to grab it and save it for later. Can't do that, can you? Verse 9, he even says, that these evil guys, you're not even going to be able to stop them coming, no matter how hard you try. For them, what did that mean? He didn't know it at the time. They were unable to stop Ahab. They were unable to stop Manasseh. We were unable to stop Hitler from coming. We were unable to stop Joseph Stalin. We couldn't stop Al-Qaeda from coming. We can't stop ISIS from coming. We can't stop these jerk animals down in Africa stealing little girls, Boko Haram. We can't stop them from coming, he's saying, but he's also telling us they can't stop death and judgment. Someday, they're going to find themselves in the middle of the battlefield, and they're going to be the surrounded ones. You know, in the United States, we hate to talk about judgment. We hate it. You know, our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, they love it. They can't wait for that day. They can't wait for that day because they know that King Jesus is the supreme ruler and you don't beat up his kids and get away with it. And God's wisdom helps us to see this. It motivates us to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity, but also trusting him in the maze of life. So much of the church we We're only living for today, and other of us are only living for eternity. 
And God wants us living and trusting in him for both. And a lot of this trusting in the Lord, I hate to say it because it doesn't fit our American way of thinking, is waiting on the Lord. Abraham and Sarah wanted a child. The Lord says, I'll give you one. 25-year wait. Think about that. Think about 25 years. Joseph, taken a prisoner. He had a dream that, that his brothers were going to come and he was going to be the big shot. 13-year wait. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and it talks about certain people, their whole lifetime, they didn't even get to see it until they met God. To be honest, I have, I have several things in my life that I'm confused about right now. I'm no different than anybody else. People are like, well, you're a pastor. You don't have problems. I'm like, I mean, no offense, but I know all you all. <laughs> we all got problems, right? And we try to wear each other's problems. We try to bear one another's problems. And, but with all the problems or the things that I'm confused about right now, trusting Jesus is the only way I sleep. I mean, I lay my head on the pillow and I'm just like, well, Lord, another one in the books for me. One day closer to glory. Would you help tomorrow be better? <laughs> I'm sorry for my mistakes today. And I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Jesus hasn't made a lot of those situations better yet. Or at least from my perspective, he hasn't. But he has made the burden lighter for me. I know that he's been helping me carry them. But it's daily. It's a daily help. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. You see, that's how wisdom will help you live with what you don't know. When you're wise enough to realize that the God you love and the God who loves you knows what's going on and he's not going to leave you out in the dark. Number three, wisdom will help you live an enjoyable life. Wisdom will help you live an enjoyable life. Verse 10, he says, Then I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten. So he saw people who were wicked. They came and gone from the place of holiness. They were church dudes, and they were forgotten. Their lives were done. Now, some... Some of your versions say, my version says they were praised. There's a translation issue on the language there, but does it really matter? I mean, listen, plenty of scoundrels in the church got praised, and then after they were gone, it was like, oh, no, he was a rat. But eventually they're forgotten, right? We've said this in this book before. There's really not that many people in the world that are living that are really going to be remembered. Very, very, it's, it's an insignificant percentage of the population of people who will be remembered. You might be able to look them up on the internet, but, but people won't be remembered. I mean, gosh, most of us without, you know, Ancestry.com wouldn't even know who our great-grandfather was or great-grandmother was. So he said he, he saw these people who were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This was also vanity. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to do evil. What's he saying? He said a lot of people do evil because they don't think God's going to do anything about it. 
A lot of people do evil because they will say, well, well they, God doesn't exist. We said last week that, that most people think that because there's evil, God doesn't exist. And the Bible writers have the exact opposite opinion. And even people who don't believe in God, if you're just looking at this from strictly government, a lot of people think, hey, you can do whatever you want. Nobody's going to say anything. The government's not going to press charges. You don't have to worry about it. So people continue to do evil. But look at verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, people keep doing evil, but they keep living. Look at this. Yet I surely know. Let's just stop at that word know. You might want to circle it in your Bible. If you notice in Ecclesiastes, he's been basically saying, I have seen, I have seen, I have observed. Now he says, this is something I know. This is something I know. Remember we say, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. This is the Spirit of God bringing it home. He says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow because he does not fear before God. Now, let's just, let's just really have to understand something. Again, we have to look at American culture and how different we see the world than God does. We think of wicked people as that resume of jerks that I just named before. Not you. Uh, Hitler, <laughs> you know, Hitler and Stalin and whoever we were, or else that we were talking about. And he says here that it will be well with those who fear God. Now, when we think of wicked people, most Americans think they're good people. They're not wicked. But if you look at these verses very carefully, who does God define as wicked? Those who don't fear God. See, we may have our own standard. God thinks that our ignoring him is wicked. Is wicked. Verse 14, there is a vanity... And he's just saying, this is something I've seen that doesn't make sense. This is a vanity which occurs on earth that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Let's stop right there. He's saying there's some decent people who get what bad people should have gotten. Any of you know a carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago you might say that about? He says, again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. He says, I say that this is also vanity. He goes, it's, it's, sometimes it's just reversed. Somebody does good stuff, and as if they had done bad stuff, people do bad stuff, they get away with murder. He's not, he's not saying, listen, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I figured it all out. He's like, I, listen, I'm the king, I don't get it. Now you said, I thought we were supposed to learn how to enjoy life in this part of the outline. Well, look at verse 15. What do we do? What does wisdom do? Interesting. Wisdom, here, he tells us the same thing he told us in chapter 2, the same thing he told us in chapter 3, and the same thing he told us in chapter 5. Any of you think maybe he's trying to tell us something? Verse 15, so I commended enjoyment. Not seeking after your own pleasure, we're going to see. I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat, drink, and be merry for this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. So what is King Solomon telling us? That he's learning that rather than letting in the injustices of the world ruin us, 
rather than letting them sour us, you know, rather than be someone like, oh, I heard you're a Christian. You're like, yeah, this world's going to burn, right? <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. No, what, is, what does he say? Now, again, we're not talking about extreme heartache, right? If you're going through extreme grief and extreme pain, that's, that's off to the side. That's a, that's a whole different issue. But our normal way of life, when things are going terrible in this world, they're completely out of control. We don't know which end is up. What is he telling us? Trust the Lord and go to a picnic. Trust the Lord and go have a big, thick, juicy steak. Same thing he's telling us. Trust the Lord and go have some good, godly fun. See, at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, he was trying to seek pleasure, and he found out that his own seeking of pleasure was not the answer. Here he's telling us, I know what the answer is, that wise people seek to enjoy the life that God gives them. They seek to enjoy themselves where they are, instead of complaining about where they aren't all the time. Now, are we, can we better ourselves? Of course we can better ourselves. Don't be, don't be silly. But he's showing us here that the wise realize that they are not in control. God is. And that's why God has the authority to tell us all to enjoy our life more. So a sourpuss Christian should not be the case. They're being disobedient to God. God is saying, enjoyment. Enjoy your life. Enjoy the beautiful day. Enjoy the friends I gave you. Enjoy me, he's saying. Now, he's not saying that enjoyment will answer all your questions. What is he saying? That godly enjoyment will lessen your excessive questioning. That maybe just a little bit of fun will lessen all the worry that some of us have. Because enjoyment just gives us a break, right? How do we deal with the lack of information that God gives? I mean, most of us are on a need-to-know basis, and not even that, right? And, and the human limitations that we all have. How do we enjoy life with all of our human limitations? And what happens with most people? When, mo- when life goes wrong, what do we do? We rebel against authority, right? Oh, God's not blessing me. I'm not going to church. Like heaven's all of a sudden, whoa, did you feel that earthquake, right? <laughs> That was a 9.9, right, man? Whoa, almost closed the place with that one. No, most people, when things go wrong, they rebel against authority and they forget God. And you see, loved ones, how countercultural the Bible is. God says, if you want to really live, really live, you submit to me and you fear me. Because God says, I will give the one who submits to me and fears me the capacity to enjoy life that I won't give to other people. If you're willing to take advantage of it, if we are willing to take advantage of it, he says, I will give you a supernatural ability to enjoy life. I mean, you you listen to that and you think, that's either true, or the biggest boatload of malarkey I've ever heard in my life. Serious. God doesn't put this in the, in the gray area. He says, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. If you want to enjoy life, you want to enjoy it. Submit to the king's authority and fear the king. And then he comes with a promise. It will go well for those who do 
And it will not go well for those who don't. Here we are, a thousand years, 500, a thousand years before Jesus lived. And the Bible writer just made a heaven and hell statement for us. That if you want to have it go well for you when you die, you have to trust Jesus. People say, oh, well, Jesus would never talk like that. I always tell people, be honest, let's just be honest, you've never read the Bible. Jesus is constantly making heaven and hell statements and constantly saying that he's the only way to get to heaven. That submission to the king is the only way into the kingdom of heaven. And you could even say what he said earlier in this chapter, that the king does whatever pleases him. That God says, my kingdom, my laws. Friends, God's patience with our sin is not make us to make us feel okay with it. No, the New Testament says that his patience is actually meant to lead us to repentance. That we're supposed to see how patient he has been with us and he hasn't torched us yet. And we're supposed to turn to him and ask for his help and his forgiveness and eternal life through his son. And what does the Old Testament say? That God's patience with sin is not make us to feel okay with it, but it's made for us to fear God. Now, the term, the fear of God, is going to become more common in the closing chapters of this book. And we're getting, we're getting there. We're getting to the to end of another book. And so when we talk about fear, I want to try and talk about it in different ways each week if we can. I'll give you one author's definition. Michael Eaton calls fear of the Lord the awe and holy caution that arises from the realization of the greatness of God. That is something that is only experienced by people who are willing to admit that presently today they stand in the presence of God. And when they die, they will stand in his presence as well. I want to end with a story that's from the Bible that's familiar to a lot of us when we've talked about many, many times. Maybe you remember this story if you're here you're not really familiar with the Bible, Remember, you might remember this from growing up. Luke chapter 23, Jesus is on the cross, and who's next to him? Two thieves. They're being crucified at the same time for their crimes. Uh, Luke 23, 39 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged, they had been both blaspheming Jesus, but one starts to look at Jesus differently. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, look at this, do you not even fear God? See, this is amazing. God is going to show us how fearing him actually gets us to heaven. He says, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? He's like, dude, we're dying. This is it. We're dying. We are being punished for our sins. We are being punished for our sins. Verse 41, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deed of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is how you get to heaven. Forget the be a good person stuff. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. 
Remember, what we say is often the exact opposite of what the Bible says. Now, I'm not, you're like, oh, Pastor Jim, so go be bad today. That's not what I said, right? If being a good person got you to heaven, then why in the world would Jesus have to come and die on a cross? And everybody's standard of what's good is different, right? Even really ridiculously bad people think, they're all okay, I'm just doing it for, you know, I got my reasons. This is how we get to heaven. This man, two men, are both in the presence of God. And they're both looking at Jesus. And one man is filled with terror and says, I know who you are. I know who you are. And will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What is he doing? He's putting his trust in Jesus. I know I'm not getting there if you don't remember me. Verse 43, and Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What does he say? I know you sinned, but I also know you trusted in me. And I will remember you because I forgive all those who ask to be forgiven. The other guy, he didn't get in. Why? He didn't ask. He didn't ask. You say, well, well, what about good people? Interesting. Elsewhere in the Gospels, there's people who, you know, they're doing what I'm doing. They're, they're, they're serving the Lord in the ministry, helping people, doing all kinds of stuff. But they never came to the cross, never came to Christ. And Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you. Interesting in the maze to see the people who work there. They walk through that maze. We're trying to figure our way out, right? They walk through that maze like you and I walk to our mailbox. I mean, it's that easy for them. They know the path to take. And the reality of life is that you and I will eventually walk down the dead end of the maze of life. You and I will eventually walk down the road of darkness. And you and I will need to be rescued. And Jesus came. He came from over the sun. He came from above And interestingly enough, he said, not only do I see the way out of the maze, not only did I make the way out of the maze, but Jesus Christ said, I am the way out of the maze. And no one gets out of the maze of life into heaven but by me. How gracious is God that he became a man. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, walked the maze of life and death on earth. Jesus knows the way out. We know it because he was raised from the dead and he's willing to take anyone out and away from death, even a thief on a cross. Anyone who's willing to believe in him, who's willing to put their trust in him. But friends, I have to tell you, taking that path out of the maze will take you by the foot of the cross. And when you come there, you're going to have to look up and you're going to have to admit your rebellion to the king. You're going to have to admit that you turned your back on the king. You're going to have to realize that he is being crucified for your and my rebellion. And then look, as Michael Eaton said, with awe and holy caution and realize this, Jesus forgives the one who asks.
and Jesus didn't forgive the other one. And as you look, put your trust in him. Say to him, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And when you do, you will experience the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then you can go and enjoy the life that he's given. Thank you for listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire here at Changed by Love is simply to bring you the life-changing message of Jesus Christ by teaching you the Bible in a simple, easy-to-follow way. With that being said, we try to put our messages into as many people's hands as possible for a very low cost and often free of charge to anyone who contacts us. Did you know that all of our messages can be found for free on our website? changedbyloveradio.com That's changedbyloveradio.com Please check out our website and hit the Contact Us button to tell us something about yourself or request a CD copy of a message. Here at Changed by Love, we depend on the grace of God as well as the generosity and prayers of our loyal listeners. So thank you to all of you who are prayerfully and financially supporting our program. We would love to hear from you and pray you drop us a card or a letter to Changed by Love 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey. And don't forget to contact our friends at this radio station and tell them that you are being blessed by Changed by Love. It would be a great encouragement to them. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you will make plans to join us again next time, right here on this station, for more practical Bible teaching from the book of Ecclesiastes with Pastor Jim Kevney, passionately proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that needs to hear.